we have some fathers in the house and we want to welcome them and, and uh, are grateful to be able to hear from them. Would you help me welcome our former senior pastor and uh, one of our overseers, Brian Acey, to hear from him this morning. Thank you, Mr. Harris. Yes. Howdy. Howdy. How are we? Good attitudes? Yeah. All right. Good, good, good. If you have a bad attitude, hang around. You're, you'll be fine by the time it's done. Mr. Herman, welcome home. Have you, guys, have you guys welcomed him home appropriately since he's been back? When did you come back? Well, oh, man. Thank you for your service. I know sometimes we say that, it sounds trite, but oh my. And thank you for your sacrifice. (laughs) Goodness sake. It's so good to see you here. Good to have one of our men home. Stay here, would you? All right. (laughs) It's good to be here with all of you. Um, Clem and I have been here for a few days, and when when I went to my daughter Ellen's house, she says, well, Dad, you guys are having meetings, and you and Clem are both here. She said, are you here to make some kind of, like, big announcement? I said, no, 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 no big announcement. No big announcement at all. We're just here to be a help, is all, and uh, to encourage you guys. And, man, you are about to hear a message from Clem. If you take notes, make sure you're ready. Get your pen ready. If you don't take notes, take notes today, Please. There's going to be some questions you have to be asking yourself in the next couple of weeks, next month or so, that Clem's going to give you. You need to be doing it. Uh, I was so excited. I said, I'm just thinking of all the people all over the world that just need to hear what Clem has to say today. The, other, the last group was really quiet. Do you think you guys could give us a little bit more? You know, we need a little more energy. You know, back there was a day when... There was this saying that, we, that we'd have. I always remember Stu Schultz screaming this. And when he heard something he agreed with from the preacher, he'd go, oh, back that big track up. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to use that one, but something. Something like, well, that was good, or even that was stupid. I think Clem would be glad to hear that. Just, come on, people. Let's wake up. It's Sunday. Yeah. It's a good day, right? All right, good. So I am here. I'm here to talk about the fact that Jr. and Jenny, um, Jenny and had kept working. She had to keep going to work, but Jr. was on full sabbatical, um, and just here to talk about that a little bit and encourage you. I, I, I'm hoping that this isn't the last time we have this conversation because I, I think it just needs to be worked into the system, and I'll explain that a bit. You know, in common, it's it's really common in academic circles. Um, oftentimes, universities and colleges, um, for for gener- I mean, for not just decades but centuries, they've they've always recognized that that they they need their academics, their professors to to have a time of rest. And so, generally speaking, in that world, every seventh year they would give their tenured professors a, a sabbatical, and so they would be on paid leave for a year. And and the idea is that they would get some rest. But then they would, they would also just get some new energy and some new vision and, and maybe a new message, maybe an updated message or whatever. They'd encourage them to travel to other places um, and, and visit other acad- um, academic centers in order to just grow a little bit. 
And so it isn't, it's a common in that part of the world. It, it's not as common in the church, but it, but it is common in other circles, not necessarily ours. <laughs> we, we just believe in working hard, right, Joni? That's what we do. And, uh, but truthfully, there is just a time when, when we want and, and we need to encourage our leaders to have a time of sabbatical, and sabbatical is just a time of rest. It's entering into a rest, if you will. It was, uh, I think it was last fall that we, we were talking about this, and we just recognized that there was, this would be a good season for JR to have a time of sabbatical. Um, and, and so we, we had quite a bit of conversation about it, and we felt like it would be vital to JR's strength of his leadership. It'd be vital to the church here and your continued efforts for the kingdom, and it would be vital to the leadership team as well. There were days when I never took a sabbatical, but there were times when I took a forced time of rest. I'd come home from work, and I'd I'd walk in the door, and my duffel bag would be sitting there, and Margaret would meet me at the door, and she said, kiss the kids, you're leaving. And, and I'd say, what? And she'd say, well, I made, a, I made a reservation for you at Mountaintop Retreat out of Bozeman, and we don't want to see you for three days. We're just, we just really need some inspired leadership, and truthfully, you're just not it. And so the, the elders always called her number one. They, 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 I'd give them my big ideas, and they'd say, yeah, but what's Margaret think? That's all they wanted to know. And, and so she, she, just, she just recognized that when I wasn't inspired, when I was just tired, that I wasn't providing good leadership. And she said, you always came back better. What I never told her for years is that I would always sleep for a day and a half. And, and I, I, I never told her that because she's a mom, and moms are tired. <laughs> and the idea that I slept for a day and a half wasn't necessarily her part of her menu probably for my time but it was essential for me to get that rest and and I can I'm confident that in the days to come JR will explain his process of it and and what you will hear is that he was really really tired you guys this was a this has been an amazing season hasn't it nobody knew what 2020 was bringing but we all knew that 2021 was going to be a lot easier right <laughs> But it just hasn't been that way. And 2020 was hard. It was hard. And, and it was very, very hard for, for JR. When we, when we first started talking about sabbatical, Clem brought up the name of a man that he felt like would really be helpful. And so part of one of the, one of the elements of JR taking time for sabbatical was that he, he needed to get some coaching. And, and so Clem introduced all of us to this man, amazing man named Mark Spencer, who himself had taken kind of a forced sabbatical um, in his midlife because he actually broke down. He just completely broke down. He was a pastor, and he had been going hard and long for a really long time, and, and he just literally burnt out. There wasn't any more light on his candle. <laughs> and, and, and so he, he comes from this place of, of having completely burned out. And, and we just, honestly, just didn't want that to happen to JR or any other leader. And there's a reason why, I believe anyway, why in the church we do need to talk more about this idea that our leaders need to have time to rest. 
in the very, you know, when, when, when we were handing over, you know, the leadership of the church to this other group of, of younger people, uh, one of the things that I argued for, uh, I didn't win, but I argued for the idea that every one of our elders should take a year off in their seventh year to just rest and get a different perspective about things. And, and I still believe, actually, that that would be a really good idea um, because I think we want our leaders to be rested, but we want them to be inspired as well. And one of the things that Mark Spencer talks about, that when we heard it, we just grabbed a hold of it, and he says, revelation comes out of rest. Does that sound right? Revelation. We want, we want our leaders to be inspired. And to be inspired means that something from God was put in you by God. It's, it's, it's like he's put something in you that you couldn't have gotten anywhere else. And so that's what inspiration is. And revelation really, in, in, the, in a real practical sense, is just inspiration. It's like God speaks to you. And he reveals something to you that you won't get anywhere else. You get it from God. And, and so we, that's what we want. And, and Mark says, that's what should come out of a time of sabbatical, is that, that a person ends up with revelation, with inspiration that comes from God. And it comes out of a place of rest, not out of a place of brokenness or, or being stressed out or worn out or whatever. The truth is that... Um, Clem could give you a long list of people he knows that have actually gone and, and done just this. They've done sabbaticals. His own pastor is just coming back from sabbatical. Um, but oftentimes, and what we've learned from Mark is that oftentimes these people don't come back. They, they are so worn out and they're so tired that they get a little bit of rest and they go, you know what, I just don't think I have what it takes to do this anymore. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I never talked about sabbatical myself is because my pastor, some of our pastor in 1993, he went on sabbatical and he decided he wasn't coming back. And so I always thought, well, no, no sabbaticals. <laughs> we, don't need, we don't need any of those because we, we don't want to lose these people. I'm glad to tell you that JR is here. He's yeah. not going away. Now, the, the truth is that, that my pastor didn't come back, but he went on to have an extremely fruitful life, and still is to this day. Um, so it wasn't like he was completely burnt out or anything. But I still think that it's important for our leaders to do that. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like if, you're, um, if you're an active military you're on, you know, you're 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 dealing with the enemy on a regular basis. You're strategizing. You're thinking about it all the time. Um, but in military strategy, if I understand it right, anyway, generally speaking, you go for the leaders. You you want to take out the leaders. That's a big part of of a military strategy. And we we have presidents who brag all the time about you know bad guys that they killed. This makes it sound like they snuck around in the dark and did it themselves, right? But but it's it's. It's, that's kind of the idea is you want to take out the leader. And in the, in, in the spiritual world, we know, we're, we're taught that, that we have enemies. 
Our enemies don't have bodies, but we have enemies, and they want to destroy us. First, they go after our bodies. They go after our faith. They go after our energy, our strength, our hope. They'll do whatever they can to, to trip up our leaders, because if the leaders are scattered, then the sheep are scattered. And, and so our enemies are after us, and, and our leaders in the church are on the front line. And they are the ones that are taking the hit. They're the ones that are being beat on on a regular, constant basis. It's one of the reasons why we have been instructed in the New Testament. It's a pray for your leaders. Why? Because they're up against it. They are a target. And it does wear you down. I had no idea how worn down I was until I, I quit pastoring the church. And I, I just... Oh, if I could go back and do a sabbatical somewhere in the middle of all that and get perspective again, I was just completely worn out and done. It took me five years before I even, honestly, I went to church, but it took me five years before I wanted to. It took me at least two years to even like people again. <laughs> I don't think we want our leaders like that, do we? And I actually... I actually did take like three, eight, three weeks off one time. Our pastor, my, my brother was on staff, and our pastor, he, my brother said, well, I just want to take a day off, because our pastor didn't believe in that. And he, he said, well, I just want to take it off. He says, well, all right. It's like, you finally won me over. You can have a day off, but just don't let anybody see you do it. <laughs> That's kind of how we grew up. And I, I look at it now, and I, and I just think, how much better it would have been to hand over the leadership of the church to a lively group of young people, but it's being handed off from a really lively group of older people instead of a bunch of tired, worn out, I don't really want to do this anymore people. It just would have been so much different. You guys, we just need, we just needed to do this for JR and Jenny. JR wasn't whining, he wasn't moaning, he wasn't asking for this. But I'll tell you, in, in our conversations in the last little bit of time, I am just so absolutely grateful that we've done this. And I'm so grateful that you guys have given them that opportunity. Mark Spencer is a coach. That's really what he is. And he's been coaching JR and Janny. And, and actually, he's, he's been coaching, is going to be coaching some of the elders and their wives as well. And, and I'm just so excited about that. He says there's three elements to the sabbatical. I'll, I'll kind of lay this out for you, and then I'm going to turn it over to the, to the big cheese here. But there's rest is the first element. And JR would tell you, and probably will tell you in the days to come, how badly he needed rest. And you don't realize how badly you need rest until you stop, and then all of a sudden all you want to do is sleep. And that's kind of where he was. That's really an important element, and you can't rush that part of it. You just had to take the time, which is why we extended the sabbatical a bit, because we just realized it just did take a while for JR to actually get to the point where he felt at rest. Because we want rest, because revelation comes out of rest. But then the next part is reflection, and that's what JR has been involved with, and, and, and it's part of what Mark has been doing and coaching him through this process of how am I as a leader? Um, what do I 
What could I do differently now? It's like a, almost like an opportunity to reset a bit. How do I get stronger? How do I avoid getting to the point where I'm that tired again? Is there another way to look at things? I believe it's Andy Stanley and his team. Um, they have as a policy, they, they get together in their, in their conference room once a year and they all resign. And then they accept one another's resignations and they walk outside of the building and turn around and look at it and see if they can see it from a different perspective. And then they go back in and rehire themselves. <laughs> but it's kind of that idea. Is, is, is JR has been reflecting and, 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 and just saying, I wonder if there's another way to look at this, another way to be a stronger leader and a, and a, and a more visionary leader. And, and if so, how do I express that? How do I explain what's on my heart and what I'm thinking? And, and I get, I'm really excited about this part of the process. I'm just thinking, this is going to be good. And then the next part, which I have to be honest, initially when I heard it, I thought, well, of course, there's reentry. Like, okay, you were on sabbatical, and then you're not. And Mark has seen this so often, and he's coached so many people through this, and he's just saying, and you could do it that way, and a lot of people do do it that way, but he's just saying, I don't think you guys should do it that way. I think you should let, and, and to use Clem's words, let JR have a soft landing. So he, he, he JR have a soft landing. So he's, instead of a hard landing like an airplane, we want one that comes in soft. And, and so he's not going to be up and preaching. He's not going to, he's not going to be doing a lot of things, um, initially, but he's going to continue this reflection. And he's going to be talking with his team and continuing to coach with Mark and continuing to talk with Clem and, and just kind of working out, okay, you know, how do we do this? And walking the team through some reflection as well. I honestly just see nothing but good coming from this, you guys. Just absolutely excited about the fact that we're doing it this way. So he's just going to be observing things from a fresh perspective. And he already is. Um, respond to things differently. He's going to lead and serve smarter. I really believe that. He's going to learn and lead from a place of, and a position of rest, not stress. Part of the soft landing is that, um, is, is that we don't harass him too much. You know, you, you can hug him, you can love him, but just don't put your hand on him and say, so how did it go? What did you get? What are you going to share with us? Just let him work this process through. It's not going to be very long before he's going to be standing here and, and, and sharing with you the things that he's learning and that he's learned. And, and, and I, I think you're going to really enjoy it. It's going to be like fresh water. I really believe that. I had a friend, I think I was started to tell this part of the story, but I, I did take three weeks off one time, and, and I came back, and one of my friends... Um, after a meeting, came up and he just put his hand on me. He said, well, it must be nice to be able to take three weeks off. Don't do that to JR. I guarantee you, it wasn't that nice initially. It was hard. But it's a blessing? Absolutely, is it a blessing? Was it necessary? I think it was, you guys. I really think it was necessary. And so... 
Yeah, of course, hug them, love them. Just don't ask them a lot of questions. Don't expect a, a lot of explanation or anything like that. You're going to get it. You're going to get it from them when the time is right. Don't, they're not like porcelain. You don't have to worry about that. They're not going to crack. I mean, if, they, if you do say hi and JR starts, JR starts crying, then maybe give us a call. <laughs> but I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> so does that sound right? Sound fair? I think you guys have done the right thing. I think you've done it. And I have to say the elders have done a superb job as well. And Clem is going to give that to you. But right now, I introduce to you Mr. J.R. Quigley. Thank you, sir. Good morning, Mount Helena. It's uh, good to be standing up here and seeing all your smiling faces today. Uh, We are glad to be back. We've really... Uh, as we decided that we were going to be here this weekend and thinking about what did we miss. And uh, I, I do miss worshiping with you guys and being able to visit with you and and preach. I'm looking forward to getting back up here in the near future. So hopefully it won't be too long and I'll be sharing some of those things like Brian was, was just talking about getting to process some of that with you so you can understand a little bit of my journey. I just appreciate Brian's explanation uh, and, and insights there. I appreciate uh, just the the care and the stability that that uh, the elders brought, that the oversight team brought, but but also that you guys owned it while I was gone. You guys just kept living the mission. You kept building community. You just keep going, and and that's really what God has called us to as the church. You know, to keep living that mission that He's given us. And I just so appreciate that about you guys uh, serving through the summer and and keeping on, keeping on. And those of you that are newer throughout the summer, I' looking forward to getting to know you maybe and and hearing a bit of your stories in the days ahead. And glad you're a part of what we're doing. Uh, I'm sure you have questions. I can stand. I have lots to talk about. And share and things like that, but I don't want to take up any more time today. I just wanted to get up today and say hi, and we're glad to be back. Appreciate you guys. But we want to hear from Clem this morning. As Brian said, he's got a great message. And so would you help me welcome our overseer and friend for decades now, Mr. Clem Ferris? Sorry. (laughs) Decades. Sorry. For those that don't know me, I'm the youth pastor here. Um, maybe you're new to the church, so just so you know, we'll have a youth meeting. Woo-hoo. Anyway, decades, yeah, <laughs> decades. Hey, it's good to be with you. This is such a good season, um, and it's been tough. It's been tough everywhere, and I'm, I'm in touch with a lot of uh, churches and pastors and our network, and I think the stat we, came, uh, we heard recently, 29 or 30% of pastors in the United States seriously considered quitting last year. One-third of all the pastors in the United States were seriously wanting to resign. It's been a tough year, just on everything. So, but we're in the end times. It's not supposed to be easy street. If you book, and by the way, JR is going to do a deep dive into the book of Revelation. That's what he's been studying all summer. I'm kidding. He'll explain it all. You'll, you'll know everything you want to know about the end times. Um, the one thing we do know is we're headed toward the finish. Isn't that good? The good news is we're going somewhere. You're sitting in a chair, but you're heading toward the finish, the finality of the church. And that's something to be excited about. Not always easy, a little bit tough. If you've been following anything that's going on in the Middle East right now, it's tough. And um, we work with a network called Run Ministries, R-U-N, Reaching Unreached Nations. They particularly target the Muslim world and where there's unreached people groups. They've been planting churches in Afghanistan for decades. 
Nobody knows about it because it's so dangerous. There are 51,000 house churches in Afghanistan. 51,000. Yeah. Because you almost want to say, is God even over in Afghanistan? Oh, yes, he is. Now, here's the, here's the sobering thought. Last week, in a 48-hour period, 36 house group leaders were shot and killed. Yeah. That's the sobering part of it. Uh, they're, they're laying down their lives. And so Run Ministries were talking with some of the house church leaders over there, and they said, well, we may, may, maybe we should have a plan to protect you and maybe get you out and all this. And they go, oh, no. Oh, no. We served Islam. We served a false god. We were willing to die for a false god. How much more are we willing to lay down our lives for Jesus Christ? And you just sit there and just go, I'm not there. <laughs> I'm just like, these guys are like, wow. And they sent 100,000 house group leaders into Iran to train house church leaders in Iran. Iran's got the fastest growing church in the world right now. We don't know it because it's not on the news. Because it's dangerous. It is dangerous. We are in the end times. So, what are we going to do about that? We're going to reach Helena, aren't we? <laughs> God didn't call us to Afghanistan, but God's called you here. And we're going to reach people for Christ in the end times. The church is going to thrive. It's so exciting. I want to take you into a message this morning. Because to do this, we're going to need something that you might hear this term a lot. But I'm going to use it this morning and explain it biblically. We're going to need breakthroughs. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. We need a breakthrough. And to get that term in our spirits, we're going to go to the prophet Micah. Micah chapter 2, verse 13. We got it on the screen because nobody knows where Micah is in the Bible. I thought I've heard, I know it's somewhere. <laughs> it's not somebody we're really familiar with. But Micah chapter 2. The prophet here is explaining this whole idea of who God is for us when we need a breakthrough. And so he says, the breaker, or this translation says, he who opens the breach, but another, the NAS says, the breaker goes out before them. And then they break through. You always say, like, you know what, I need a breakthrough. Yeah, here's the good news. The reason you get a breakthrough is because the breaker goes out before you. And he says this, the king is out there passing on before you. Our king, our Jesus, is our breaker. No matter what you're facing, no matter what obstacles are in your life, whatever resistance we're going to come up against, and there's going to be continued resistance, everybody. That's the, that's the good news this morning. Welcome resistance. Welcome crisis. The end time church is going to thrive even in the midst of crisis, but we need breakthroughs. Because we are going to have resistance. And so the prophet Micah is very clear about that. The breaker goes up before them. They break through. They pass through their gate and they go out by it. The king passes on before them. The Lord at the head. Our king is taking us to the finish. Our king is out in front of us. He's not behind us pushing. <laughs> He's out leading. And we break through. What is a breakthrough anyway? I mean, a lot of times in churches, you know, the first week of January, there's all these great prophecies about a breakthrough. This is the year of breakthrough. And then by March, everybody forgets about it. So we, it's almost a cliche. We overuse the word. But understand that a breakthrough is literally an act of overcoming some kind of an obstacle, overcoming some kind of resistance. So let me ask you this morning, how many could use a breakthrough in your life right now? How many never raise your hand in church? That's the rest of you. Okay, we all need a breakthrough, <laughs> right? Maybe you're sitting next to some resistance right now. I've got resistance in my life. I've got, I got obstacles in my life. There's things happening that I didn't even pray for. And God says, yeah, but I'm going out before you. 
And so we're going to look at the life of Abram for a minute here in Genesis chapter 15. Abram, in in this part of the, the scripture, is not Abraham yet. He's Abram. He's not a Christian. Are you shocked? How do you make it in the Bible if he's not a Christian? Well, that's part of the story. Um, he's not a Christian. He's a Chaldean. He's a star worshiper. And he has no faith. But see, God has a destiny for him. God doesn't look at Abram as Abram. He looks at him as Abraham, the father of many nations. And so we pick up the story in Genesis 15. And there's three words I want you to grasp this morning. It's these first three words out of Genesis chapter 15 in the first verse. After these things. Write that down. If that's the only note you take today, write that down. After these things. And we're going to look at some of these things. We're going to look at Abram's things. And then I want the Holy Spirit to talk to you about your things. Things that have been going on in your life. Things out of your past. Maybe something happened last week. But I'm here to tell you, God is our breaker. He goes out before us. And in God's heart and in God's mind, there's always something after these things. And so we pick up the story of Abram. His story starts in the, the end of chapter 11. We have chapter 12 where God visits him. He mighty call. You're going to have your own child. Yeah, I know you're 95, Abe, but you're going to have your own kid. And all this is going on. And after these things, verse, 15, or verse 1 of chapter 15... The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, and here's what God said to him. You scaredy cat. (laughs) What are you afraid of? Fear not, Abram. Now, why did God say that? Because after these things, all these things up to chapter 15 in Abram's life were producing the wrong outcome. He was in fear. He wasn't believing God. He was giving up on the very prophecy God gave him. Watch. God came to Abram in a vision. He said, fear not, Abram, I'm your shield, and your reward will be very great. He kind of reiterated what he had told him years before. And after he'd been in battles, I am your shield. What does that mean? Well, hey, Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the armor of God. It talks about the shield of faith. What a promise in that one phrase. I'm your shield, Abram. Fear not. Why? You're in fear. I'm your shield. What does that mean? I'll be your faith. When you don't have faith and when you're afraid, God is your shield. God is your faith. Yeah, it's called a shield of faith, but guess what? God himself is your faith. He's the source of faith. He's the provider of faith. And it's the antidote to fear. Because the definition of fear is believing in something you can't see. The definition of faith, believing in something you can't see. (laughs) It's the same thing. It's believing in something you can't see. And so Abram is in fear. He's not believing that he's going to have a child. He's not believing all these things. He's just been at war with kings and all kinds of stuff are breaking down. And God says, Abe, you need a breakthrough. I'm your breaker. I'm your faith. I'm going to invade your life and give you everything you need. Isn't that good about God? Don't you love that about Christianity? See, in Christianity, it's the only religion where God does everything for you. You can't save yourself, right? You can't save yourself. You can't get to heaven without God. So in Christianity, (laughs) Jesus does all the heavy lifting. And here's Abram at a key reference point in his life after these things. It was a God moment. It was a God, God visited him. Some of you need a God moment. 
Maybe this week, maybe today. You need that God moment where God comes and just breaks in on you and visits you. What were some of the things after these things? Well, Abram had some rough patches here. He had partial obedience. How many ever had that? Please do not raise your hand in church. I'm kidding. Oh, yes, we all have. Come on. Partial obedience. I started out well, and then I didn't finish. That was him. He started out well. I want you to leave the land of the early counties. I want you to go here. He goes, okay, I will. And then he stopped halfway. And then he had a character crisis or two or three. He actually lied about who his wife was. Oh, that's my sister. That's not my wife. I don't recommend that, guys. Um, <laughs> character crisis. He had family conflict. I'm not so sure that ever happens out here in Montana, but in other states, in North Carolina where I live, there's sometimes family conflict. He had conflict with his nephew Lot, and then he had repeated failure. He lied about his wife again. He had time delays. He had years with nothing seemingly happening, and then God broke in on his life after these things, after all these things. I don't know about you. I'm always glad. I love that phrase because I'm always glad in the mind of God, no matter what you've gone through, there's always something after these things. And why do we need that? I've had these things. You've had these things. We need to understand this about God when he looks at you and me. He's not looking at you <laughs> and evaluating you on what's going on today in August of 2021. You know why? Isaiah clears it up for us. Isaiah 46.10, he said, God sees the end from the beginning. God's not evaluating you and your Christian walk right now based on what you've done so far. Because he sees the finished product. Isn't that amazing? Some of you have just got to get rid of some guilt and shame this morning. <laughs> misplaced guilt, misplaced shame that the enemy wants to put on you. Just like what Brian was talking about, this invisible enemy, he wants to just come and accuse you, put shame on you, guilt, all this stuff. And God says, I don't see them like that. I see the end product, Christ-likeness. And so here's Abram in the middle of a crisis. He's in the middle of unbelief and all this stuff. And here's the thing. God doesn't focus on our past like we do. God came in and said, okay, now, Abram, after these things. He's like, what? That was some bad things. He goes, yeah, but after these things, I'm going to, here's the vision. <laughs> Fear not. Oh. God's not consumed with our past like we are, and God doesn't give up on us like we want to. It's like I said, a lot of pastors want to give up this past year. Maybe you've wanted to give up. God never gives up. He just comes and says, I got vision. I got a plan. And I've got the resource that you need. Every one of us need what Abram needed, faith. Say, come on, Abe, believe. I can't. I know you can't. So I'm going to cheat. I'm going to give you what you don't have. I'm going to give you the faith to believe. How many know faith is a gift? The reason you're sitting in a chair in a church on Hill, Montana on a Sunday morning is because God at some point broke into your life and gave you faith and you believed. And so we watch the rest of the story. I'm your shield. Your reward will be very great. And Abram said, oh, Lord God, what are you going to give me? Because I continue childless. Now, how many of you have had an argument with God? <laughs> hands up again. Okay, every hand just goes up. I, we've argued with God when he says, <clears throat> you're going to be great. I'm your shield. You're going to have a great reward. I go, no, that's not how I see my world. So he's arguing with God. What are you going to give me? You said I'd have a child. It's been years now. I'll tell you what, God. I've got plan B. I'm going to choose this Eliezer of Damascus. He'll be my heir. And God goes, no. How many know God doesn't do plan B? God has no plan B. You are plan A. <laughs> Your life is still in plan A. God never changes his mind. 
He didn't change his mind for Abram just because it's been 25 years. I haven't had a kid yet. I'm in my 90s. I'm thrown in the towel. I'm done, God. God goes, no, you're not. What you need is faith, not a child. You need faith. So here God breaks in on his unbelief, breaks in on his fear. Behold, you've given me no offspring. I guess I'll just pick my own heir. And God goes, no, you won't. (laughs) This man won't be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Wow. And then God did the most amazing thing in in verse 5. God says, I'm going to give you what you really need. It's not a child. He says, come on with me, Abe. He takes him outside and he changes his focus. Some of you need a change of focus this morning. And Brian exhorted the the first service to just like turn your TV off for a while. (laughs) Go on a a screen fast. Just change your focus. He brought him outside and he said this, what? Look toward heaven. Abram, what? Look toward heaven. Well, I do every night. I'm a star worshiper. Yeah, I know. But (laughs) those stars that you worship, I made them all. In fact, Mr. Star Worshipper, have you ever counted them since you stare at them every night? How many are there? I go, I know how many there are. In fact, I have a name for every single one of those stars. And God just gets a little frisky with them. Kind of like, hey, boy, come on out here. See the only stars? I made them all. Think you could count them? So he shifts his focus. He said, see all those stars? That's how many kids you're going to have. What? So shall your offspring be. God never changed his mind. It's interesting. He went from saying to, you know, you're going to have the dust of the earth. He used the dust analogy earlier in Abram's life when he first prophesied. Now he shifts upward and says, it'll be like the stars of the galaxy. And yet he still didn't have what he needed. There's another. He reiterates the prophecy. And then the most amazing thing happens in, in verse 6. This is what happened to you, by the way. The reason why you're here and believing in Jesus is because you, you got what Abram got. In verse 6. Watch. He believed the Lord. What was going on before that? Oh, he wasn't believing the Lord. He was a Chaldean, star-worshipping unbeliever with no faith. And God broke in. The breaker went out before him, broke through his unbelief, gave him what he needed, and he believed the Lord. And then God did the most unthinkable thing. After he believed the Lord, he turned it back around and said, Now you are righteous. And God counted it back unto him as Full righteousness. Don't forget who you are in Christ. You are righteous. Yeah, Yeah, but last week, I don't care. I care, but I don't go there. I don't identify. God does not identify with your mistakes like Abram. He's he's not consumed with your pet. God's saying, you're righteous. It's the most unbelievable thing about the gospel. Come on, everybody. The gospel's way too good. I want you to sit on that for a minute. The gospel is called good news. Here's the good news. Here's the gospel. First of all, you're worse than you think you are. Even you, Colton. You are worse than you think. But here's the true gospel. You are more loved than you'll ever know. Come on, back it up. Back that truck. You are worse than you think, and you are more loved than you'll ever realize this side of eternity. And that's what God gives us, because God is the gospel. But why do we need breakthroughs? Why are breakthroughs important? Why does God set you up for a breakthrough? Why does God allow things to pile up or you get tired out? And why do we need breakthroughs? I'll tell you why. Number one, you need them to go to the next 
level of your destiny in God. It, it's like a, it's a big stepping stone to that next thing God has for you and your destiny that he's created for you. God knows where he's taken you. And there is no plan B. And God knows what it's going to take to get you there. It's personal. They're personal. You need it to go to the next level. But you need it because it becomes a personal experience with God Almighty. This wasn't about Israel. This wasn't about even Sarah. It wasn't about his, his future kid. This was for Abram. A personal breakthrough for Abram. A reference point. Breakthroughs are needed because they reveal something. Just like with JR having a, a time of reflection, God's been revealing things to him. Probably about himself even, right? The man in the mirror, like, I don't know that guy. <laughs> it's like, God reveals things about you. Number one, he reveals the unbelief that's still in you. I hate that when God does that with me. He just peels back a whole layer and goes, see? I go, oh, I still got unbelief there. I'm still not trusting you there. He goes, yep, yeah, but I'm going to get it out. The revealing. God comes and he reveals something, something you've never seen before. You get a new photograph for your photo album, your photo reel, whatever you want to call it. We're the photo generation. We're all, some of you right now are just swiping right now. We get caught up in that. What's the newest reel, the newest thing? We're just future, future, future photos, more photos, more information. And that, God, God invented that. God has the whole reel done. Your photo album is already done. And God looks at the end product and goes, just like my son. That's what he sees. So breakthroughs are revealing because they reveal the next thing that God has for you and how God sees you. And here's the other thing. They're reassuring because some of you are sitting on prophetic words. Some of you have promises from God and they haven't happened yet. And you're just like Abraham saying, I'm done. Plan B. I'll, I'll, I'll make my own choices. And God goes, no, you won't. Nope, we're sticking with plan A. The reassuring. And here's the thing about breakthroughs. See, when we, when we say breakthrough, we say, I need a breakthrough. I need a breakthrough in finances. I need a breakthrough in this relationship. I need, I, 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 I need, I need. I want all these things to change in my life, God. Can I tell you what breakthroughs do? They don't change your things. They change you. That's what God's out to do. God was out to change Abram. And God is so good at this. We want changed things, don't we? We want changed circumstances. God says, no, I'm going to change you. Because see, the battles we have, <laughs> the biggest battles we have are not the battles around you. They're the battles within you. Come on, somebody. Just come on, back at, we're backing up the truck again. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? Those are our biggest battles. So... We need to pray. And here's the thing about God. God can do more in literally seconds than you can do in years of planning and praying and crying. And yet he allows us to do that. He allows us to kind of literally get exhausted, JR. <laughs> he allows us to come, as we would say, to the end of our rope. I don't know how many times it's like I'm just whining and whining and I get on. And she's like, is that all? Well, I could whine a little more. Well, go ahead. God can take your complaining. The prophets were great complainers. They really were. Read through some of the Old Testament prophets. I just complained. These Chaldeans, why'd you raise them up and raise them up? And how long? And how much longer? Are you done? Yeah, okay, now write this. <laughs> There's always something after these things. When uh, I was pastoring in Florida, we planted a church in 1993. 
pastored it, but I was starting to travel more with Keith Hazel. Some of you know Keith that led Life Links and was an overseer here for years. And he's now in heaven looking down going, you guys can do it. <laughs> but I was traveling a lot with Keith and I was sensing that the calling was shifting in my life from being a local church pastor and a part-time traveler to a full-time traveling itinerant ministry. And yet I was hitting a wall. And in 1999, it came to a head. I hit, literally hit a wall. I just felt like I was bumping against the ceiling. I, I, I was trying to describe it to God like he didn't know. I was like, I, how do I go to the next level? I don't know. And I'm, am I supposed to pastor? What am I supposed to do? And we really felt with counseling with Keith and others that I was going to go full-time into traveling ministry. And here's what God said to me. Well, you've run with the prophets. It had been 17 years now running with prophets. He says, you've run with the prophets. To go to the next level, you need to run with the apostles. And I went, Huh? <laughs> what does that mean? First of all, three questions, God. What? What's an apostle? Who are the apostles I'm supposed to run with? And where are they? I had no clue. And God began to work on me and reveal. He was setting me up for a breakthrough. So this is like an early part of 1999. And then summer of 1999, June of 1999, I was invited to do a prophetic presbytery that we have here. Come on. Mount on, Mount We love presbytery, right? That's Brian's favorite saying. We love presbytery. Why? Because God speaks. So I'm doing a prophetic presbytery in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And Jerry Daly, who's leading that church, also leading a whole network of churches, he was an apostle. I didn't know that at the time. I just said, yeah, I'll come. Because Keith recommended me. It's always Keith's fault. We blame Keith for everything. So I went up to Chapel Hill, and I stayed at Jerry's house. And I kind of was just getting to know him. And the first morning, he says, well, tell me what you've been doing. I just let it all out. I'm supposed to travel. I don't know where to travel from. I'm supposed to be with the apostles. I don't know where they are. I'm good. I don't know. And he just looks at me, and in 15 seconds, he laid out what I've been doing for the last 21 years. Mark him an apostle. They see the architecture of someone's calling, and they just see it. Paul was a wise master builder, he called himself. Architecton is the Greek word. Paul was a spiritual architect. He crafted lives. Jerry just sit there, and literally in seconds, he goes, well... I think you're supposed to move here. Base your traveling ministry out of Grace Church. Uh, I just lost a prophet on my apostolic team, so you can join my apostolic team. And uh, we're starting a Bible college. You can help us go on set. I was like, what? <laughs> really? He's like, absolutely. Boom, it was done in seconds. Years, months of preparation, breakthrough, frustration. All this is happening. And then in 15 seconds, Jerry just lays it out. Boom, like that. Took us a whole year to move there. <laughs> Took some time uproot our kids and, you know, leave the church, turn it over to the elders, move to another state. And it was the biggest, probably the biggest move we made in our lives. But God laid it out in seconds. That's the God of the breakthrough. Even when you look like your life is breaking down, God wants to bring a breakthrough. So three things you want to pray for. Three things to pray for, for breakthrough. I know you need a breakthrough. Every one of you, need a breakthrough in some area of your life, your calling, your job, whatever it is. And the first thing you need to do is go right back to God's illustration with Abram. You pray for a breakthrough and courage. Why? Because fear will stop you. Being afraid. And this is, we, listen, we live in a fear-mongering society. And I'm just going to say it. The, the media, they're out there just to continually produce fear in your life. And Abram didn't even have a television, and yet he was in fear. <laughs> I don't know what news feed he was given, but God had to break in on him and give him a breakthrough in courage. 
Because a breakthrough in courage will help you avoid future fear. I think of Joshua in the opening chapters of the book of Joshua, who was tasked with taking the people of Israel across this raging Jordan River and into the promised land. We sang about it this morning, but here he is tasked with an impossible job. And what did God say over and over in chapter one? Only Joshua, be strong and of good courage. If you'll have courage, you can do this. You'll see the breakthrough. So Joshua had to hear that over and over. Only be strong and courageous. Do not let the word of the Lord depart out of your mouth, but you'll meditate day and night. And all this was running in him. And then the, the moment came, is at the Jordan River. <laughs> raging. It wasn't even a trickle. It was like the raging. It was springtime. It was flooding. And God goes, now, go. Step in. He goes, okay, I can do this. Just give me the stick. You know, like Moses had a stick. I'm, I'm ready. I need, where's my stick? <laughs> Moses had a stick. You don't get a stick. Well, Moses had a stick, and I watched him do it, and he just, how come I can't have a stick? You don't need a stick. All you need is me. You just need me, Joshua. Only be strong and courageous. Second thing you pray for, you pray for a breakthrough in commitment. Not like, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm committed to the small group this fall, and I'm committed to Sunday morning services. And I'm, it's not about just committed to the task or committed to a time frame or This is an internal commitment to the process that God has you in. Some of you are trying to wiggle out of the very process God has you in. This is going to bring the breakthrough. You're trying to wiggle out. You're trying to get out of it somehow. You're praying those breakthrough prayers of comfort. God says, stay committed to the process. I know what I'm doing. See, Abram tried to wiggle out of the process. I'll just appoint my own heir. No, you won't. Stay committed, Abram. You need a breakthrough in commitment. And see, God will give you the faith. In the midst of your junk, God will give you the faith like he did with Abram. I think of David. Here, David gets this powerful prophetic word. You're going to be the king of Israel. Woohoo! yes. I'm destined to be a king. And then God puts him in this crazy discipleship program with spear throwing, cave hiding, you know, king, king murdering, I mean, all, all this stuff was going on. And he had every reason to quit. For years, he was on the run. He was in fear. But God gave him a breakthrough in commitment. He stayed committed to the word. See, what does commitment do? When you get a breakthrough in commitment, it helps you avoid failure. Because I'm sure David many times thought, I'm just a failure. I can't do anything. There's no way I'm going to be king. The kingdom of heaven is within you. How do you advance the kingdom? That's a nice term we use. We're here to advance the kingdom. Well, where does that actually happen? It happens right where you are, right in here. Because the kingdom of God is within a man. It's within a, a woman. It's within you. That's where the king resides. See, the king goes out before us, but we're thinking like, is he out there on, the, on Montana Avenue? Where is the king? Is he out there bringing breakthrough? No, he's right here. Internal commitment is what you draw on when you feel like you're going to fail. Internal commitment to the one who committed to you. You understand? There's a cycle of commitment, and it always starts with God. God commits to you first. How many know you were in his heart before you were ever born? Come on, read your Bibles. He was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world, and you were already a saved human and part of his family 
before you were ever born on this earth. I'm telling you, the gospel is a mind blower. It's the greatest news, and most people don't get it. <laughs> it's so great. Come on, somebody shout. Back it up again. Come on. That's the gospel. Saved before you were ever born in the heart and mind of God. That's called commitment, everybody. And he knew all your screw-ups, all your failures, everything you would do in the name of sin. He knew it all. But that's why he put his son on the cross. Come on, somebody. That's why he put his own son on the cross. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God's committed. If he's that committed, how much more can we be? And once again, you draw on what? Your relationship. Internal commitment draws on the relationship that God established with you. So you never feel, you never fear failing. And the third thing you pray for, again, we're going deep. We're going inside on all this. He's like, I need a breakthrough. It's not out there. You need a breakthrough in your heart. What do you mean by that? I don't want to have a broken heart. It's not about a broken heart. You need a breakthrough in the things that your heart resists. The heart is desperately wicked, Jeremiah says. Where do murderers and envying come from? Jesus asked the question. Do they not come from the heart? You can't trust your heart. You can't. Your heart is never to be trusted in leading you. We are led by the Spirit. Your heart is a follower, not a leader. Your heart is a wanter. It wants things. It desires things. It's a treasurer. So we're to be led by the Spirit. That's why Paul prayed phenomenal prayers for his churches. The Thessalonians, he prayed this, May the Lord direct your heart to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. May the Lord direct your heart. Our hearts need to be directed. And you need breakthroughs in heart because it's always about this motive. A breakthrough in heart will give you a pure motive. Our motives get challenged. I mean, the world and the flesh and the devil, they'll all challenge your motives. And commitment says, I know how to keep going. And a breakthrough in heart, well, answers this question. Why am I doing this? You ever had that question? You get up in the morning going, why am I going? Why do I work here? <laughs> why am I doing? Why am I? Why did I have to do my homework last night? Whatever you <laughs> Yeah, it answers that question. Why am I doing this? Motive. You see, Solomon had a breakthrough in heart when God came to him and asked him what we would call the million dollar offer. <laughs> Billion dollar offer. He said, ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. Come on, some of you right now, i got a list going. Mm, a yacht, I'll take a vacation home. Ding, 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 ding. I want all this stuff. Solomon stopped me and went, here's what I want. I want an understanding heart to judge between good and evil so I can rule well over these people. That's what Solomon said. You know what God said? Ding, ding, ding. That's what I'm looking for in a leader. That's what I'm looking for. Someone with a pure motive. And then guess what? God turned around and gave him the company credit card anyway. <laughs> he made him the richest man in the world, right? Because he saw his heart. He saw his motive. Give me an understanding heart. Pray for a breakthrough in your own heart so that your motives are right. We live in a world where everybody's judging everybody's motives without even checking it out. We're very judgmental. So don't pray for them. You pray for yourself. Pray for a breakthrough in your heart. Because, see, when Solomon had the ear of God, and let me tell you something, saints, you have the ear of God. He's listening to you. 
but he's looking at your motive. When Solomon had the ear of God, he was more interested in what would make him better for others than more comfortable himself. How can I be a better leader? How can I be a better dad? How can I be a better wife? How can I be a better student? How can I be better for others? That's a breakthrough in heart. I want to see more of God, do you? I want to see more of God. Not a trick question. Yes, I want to see more of God. But the trick is in what God said, how you get to see more of God. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. I want to see more of God. Guess what? I got to, guess what? I got to do work. I got to have breakthroughs in my heart, my motives. So the good news at the end of this message is God has an ordained outcome. Write that down too. After these things, <laughs> write that down and know this. God has an ordained outcome for everything. Afghanistan, the nations, Israel, your finances. God has an ordained outcome. Here's the battle. Agreeing with his outcome. That's our battle. Get into that place where you align your heart with the heart of God and agreeing with what he's ordained to come to pass. There is an ordained outcome. And God's going to be glorified in it. So I want to pray for you. Would you stand? I want to pray for you. Personally, I want to pray for Mount Helena Community Church, for J.R. and Janie. I want to pray for you that this would be a pivotal moment like it was for Abram. That whatever you're fearing right now, God will break in and break through your fear. And give you faith for the days ahead. That whatever kinds of things you're struggling with and your commitments, that God will break in on your commitments to the process, not just attending church. The process God has you in. And there'll be breakthroughs in your heart, your motives, and you'll know without a shadow of a doubt, this is why I'm doing this. We want to reach more people. We want to win for him. Come on. The reward of his suffering. We think of our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and the suffering going on in the world, but guess what? Nothing compares with what he suffered to save. So let's pray. Father God, we're asking right now, oh God of the breakthrough, the breaker, that you would go out before us so that we can break through obstacles, resistance. And God, we ask for a breakthrough in courage. Father, you fill every heart here with courage to avoid fear. And you'd fill every heart with a greater sense of commitment to you, the God of commitment, the God who committed to us. We recommit to thee, O Lord. And God, give us breakthroughs in our own hearts so that we know when we get up in the morning, we know why we do what we do. For the glory of Jesus Christ. That's our prayer. And that's your promise. The breaker goes out before us. And then we break through after these things.